coming up this week. Guests have to be evacuated from Not Sky Cabin. The Big Thunder Trail give guests a peek at construction, and we catch up on three weeks' worth of news. Plus, later, we share our 2016 Disneyland highlights and lowlights. All that next. From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 637, for the week of January 1st, 2017. The Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel helping you plan the perfect Disneyland vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by my good friends, Nancy Johnson. Hey! Mary Jo Mulata-Willie. Hello! Michael Bowling. Hey there, hi there, happy new year, ho there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you had to stretch that one. And Tony Spatel. Hello! Hey, the whole team is back. What the heck? I know, right? <coughs> we're refreshed. For the, f- we're, we are refreshed, and still recovering from the holidays. Which means <laughs> it's so nice to talk to all of you. And someone in the chat room wants to know where Pete is. What? All right. Welcome, new listener. <laughs> and hello to everyone else in the chat room listening live on Mixler. If you want to listen live to us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m., hop on Mixler, hop on Mixler.com and listen and chat with your friends. All right, did everybody have a good two, three, five weeks off? We did. Five. We had five, five weeks, weeks off. off. <laughs> 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 well, I think Michael and Mary Jo had five weeks off because you were traveling the, the last couple weeks of... God, has it been that long yeah. already? Yes. Yeah. All right, then I'll, I'm going to get off right yeah. now, and I'll hear talk to you guys in March. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> have, have, have you sobered up yet, Mary Jo? <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about that. What? <laughs> what happens? Although you were right there with me for the most part. Hey, Mary was jo, that the, the I'm, tequila jo, tasping or something? I, I'm going yeah. to draw a card, Mary Jo. You ready? <laughs> we. Oh my gosh, that last day. Was was so much fun. So you're talking about the podcast cruise. We're talking about the podcast cruise, mm-hmm. and I think I I think we spent more time hanging out on this cruise, at mm-hmm. least me, than on a, usually I I go and there's a certain certain group of friends right. that I hang out with all the time, and this time, um, Corey and Craig kind of led the the nightlife, I'll call it <laughs> right. Where, but. There was a core group of people that would go, and, and there, it would fluctuate. The group would get bigger, smaller, and it was uh, kind of like a pub crawl that started at 10 p.m. And um, it, it was just so much fun. We made more friends. In, in fact, some friends are out here now that that we met on the cruise. But we made so many friends, and then on that last day, we were playing uh, certain games, like what Michael <laughs> is, is referring to, and and um, it, it was just. For the first um, non-Disney cruise line podcast cruise, I think it was a big success. Good, good. Except for the uh, weather the last day, which right. precluded us having the, you know, the listening to the live podcast. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it was fantastic. 
Yeah, yeah, Carol and I had a good time. I think for us, um, you know, we had certain issues with the ship and, you know, that was discussed a bit on the Orlando show. Right. And, um, you know, so it, th- that made it tough. We, we also traveled sort of with a group, you know, we, you know, Mary Jo and I, we, you know, this was hosted by the Orlando team. So Mary Jo and I were, you know, we were paying guests on this one. So I feel I can talk. I can be very direct. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, and Pete wasn't direct. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah you can be he direct. Was, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I have to agree that the, the service level was lacking. You know, two years mm-hmm. ago on Oasis, they said it was because it was new and everybody was training. And you this can't time, keep using that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this time the excuse was, well, it's because they launched the Harmony and everybody that knew how to run a ship was transferred over to the Harmony. Oh, nice. And um, so there were, there, there were definitely customer service issues. They, you know, they have no way of, um, you know, they talked about on, on the Orlando show how they, um, you know, the, the people aren't empowered to handle problems. Well, the other issue was that we learned was not only are they not empowered, if you report something, there's no way it gets reported up through the chain so also they don't want to hear about it in right other words. so when finally oh, on man. the very last full day of the cruise when we finally found out the person to talk to about everything we had been experiencing they said why have we not heard about this and we said because there's no way for you to hear about this and um because you have no mechanism in place for these right. things to get to you and so anyway so you know, so we weren't thrilled about that. Um, we did have a couple of, you know, and, and, you know, and I understand that, you know, they, the food isn't as good in the dining room no. because they want you <laughs> to eat at the, um, at the, you know, they want you to go to the nicer restaurants. They want you to pay. The, where you have to pay. To the, the signature dining. But the problem is, you know, there's too many people on the ship. 6,000 people can't eat in three signature dining rooms or five right. signature yeah. dining rooms. But I, I don't know. I don't know if Carol and I are getting to be snobs. We just found the, f- the food was slop in some cases. Yeah. And it, or it was institutional hospital food. It shouldn't be that way. And we kept telling people, you know what? This is a mass market cruise. This is not Disney. You cannot compare the two ships. It is not fair. Um, Royal Caribbean is... is does not even attempt to be Disney, but there should be a certain level of service and there should be a certain quality of food in the dining room um, and in the buffet. And, uh, you know, and we were we were in a suite, so we did have access to the coastal kitchen. So but, you know, our friends didn't. And um, we have friends that we do travel with a lot from our adventures by, um, you know, Backstage Magic, Adventures by Disney trip, and they will never set foot on another Royal Caribbean ship, which, wow. you know, because of this experience. Now, we have Jewel of the Seas, which we loved on the Alaskan cruise. We had some disembarkation issues that, that Pete talked about on the Orlando mm-hmm. show. Other than that, we loved that ship. So we know Royal Caribbean can really provide good service and good food. It's just they seem to struggle on this ship for some reason. And we have friends who just cruised on Independence of the Seas, and they came across the same problems. So I'm a little worried that this is becoming an issue with Royal Caribbean. But 
we don't sail enough with them to really know. Right. But um, and you know, Carol and I are not. You know, we don't go to the <coughs> casino, and we don't. Um, we're not late. You know, we're not night owls, and we're not big drinkers. Yeah. So, um, I we would have appreciated having a couple more daytime um, activities, activities with the podcast team. And I know that was a general feeling among a, uh, a lot of the Dizzers. But I also know they did attempt to have more activities, but certain things they were working on didn't go through and, you know, stuff like that. You know, if you've been on other podcast crews, you know, they always had a headliner and stuff like that. And that they didn't have that on this sh- this cruise. Um, they did work on that. It just it was something that just couldn't come together is my understanding. But um, I would have liked a, a couple more daytime activities. Uh, I think maybe going forward, Carol and I need to, I don't know, take naps during the day so we can do some of the nighttime stuff. But um, Well, and on the nighttime, in the nighttime, I think the first two nights I had a drink, there was one night where I think they bought a bunch of shots and a bunch of us didn't have shots. So they bought 20 more shots and the bartender couldn't believe it. And... So that night, and then there was another night I had a drink. The rest of the time I drank Perrier or club soda because I'm not a big, I don't like having a headache the mm-hmm. next day. Now, my daughter, on the other hand, had no problem keeping up with everybody <laughs> and drinking and, you know, coming back at 6 a.m. and stuff like that. But um, the, I, I, for future cruises, I think we'll need to make a plan on getting together during the daytime because the last day, a bunch of us played trivia it, I and I like playing the trivia, and I, and I know that there's other things to do, but somebody also brought a card game. That's what Michael was referring to earlier. We were playing cards against humanity, which my daughter reminded me I had banned in our house or, um, when they were younger. <laughs> I, I <laughs> and here I was playing with her, and she had to explain some things to me. Which, but but still, we had a lot of fun with fellow members on the on the podcast that now were our friends. And I would have liked more activities where you know we had. We just didn't know because we had never been on the ship before and we didn't know what to expect with the, with the, um, Diz meets that we did have. But I think, um, some more, um, member like us as uh, the regular Dizzer, um, get togethers would have been really nice. When, yeah. when year I remember Linda had got Bunko together and we all played Bunko or a bunch of us played Bunko. I think if we had done more of that on the sea days, um, we would have had even more fun, but I agree. this was the very first cruise that my kids went on, and we we had a blast. We did excursions at every port, and we um, um, we ate at the signature signature restaurant only one night. The rest of the time, we ate in the in the dining room. And what I missed on the Disney cruises that, that they didn't have here, we had the my time dining where you make your reservations, but we had different servers every night. So uh, we didn't make a, we didn't bond with anybody. That's, right. that's the whole thing is I love having the same server every night so that mm-hmm. you get that and you, level of service. And you can do right. that. You can do that on Royal Caribbean. We did that the last two times we cruised. Yeah. With yeah, our, the server that we had the first night, she was awesome. She remembered us the next day, what we ate and everything. And if I had been thinking, I would have said, okay, we want her table every every time. But I think I, I was thinking, okay, well, we'll just experience what this cruise has, you know, because I'm still in a learning curve yeah. as um, and, far as that's concerned. And I and, agree with you. I wouldn't call the food slop, but it was meh. It was... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Carol and I hit it on bad days, but... um. 
Yeah, when we one day we went in Windjammers and we walked around and just said we we can't eat this food. So again, maybe we've just gotten to that age that we're snobs. I don't know. Well, but, it could um, also be that because you're used to eating the fine dining on the ships, because it certainly yeah. did make a difference. We ate in Windjammers for breakfast every day. We loved it. Mm-hmm. We ate in Windjammers for lunch one day, and it was okay. And we ate dinner there because it was the the dining rooms were closed and it was getting ready to close, and we ran into um. Yvette and Emil and we all ate together and it was a conversation and we were there way, way longer than they wanted us and that and up there eating and talking and stuff yeah. like that. And Kim asked in, in the Chatterati, is it too large of a ship? I don't think that's the issue. I, I, the size of the ship is fine with me. I, I think it's great because it means there's a lot of activities to do. I think it's a customer service issue there. Yeah. I mean, there is, um, Disney knows how Disney has made saying no a fine art. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and, and that no, we cannot do this. On Royal Caribbean, it's just no. No, we're not doing this. Stop complaining. I mean, that's basically their level of customer service that we experienced. Um, or they, or they, there's, there was no follow up. Um, for instance, I, 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 um, I love the thermal suites in their saunas. And, you know, in their um, spas, I became concerned, though, that there was no the level of hygiene there. They did not instruct their guests as to how you should wipe. There, there was no way people could wipe down the beds after they were done sweating all over them. They didn't instruct them and that, you know, you lay down towels, you do this. There was nothing. And when I expressed concern about that, they, they didn't care. They said, oh, yes, we instruct everybody. And I said, no, you don't, because you didn't instruct me. And I see nobody doing this. And um, and I said, you know, I explained that I had concerns because my wife has a compromised immune system. And we had gotten the um, couple's um, thermal suite, you know, package. They knew that she's on oxygen, all this stuff. So the way they handled it was to tell Carol they didn't want her in there anymore. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's how Royal Caribbean handled it, handled my concerns about hygiene. That's really so, frightening. Um, when you I finally the got them. As a whole. Yeah, I got. They, they said they cleaned the beds down once a day at the end of the day, and I just saw people sweating on them all day, and not wiping them down, not doing anything, and that was just disgusting. I thought. So, um, anyway, but yeah. I did finally get them to put in wipes. And I instructed people in there how to use them and how to clean the beds and to put down towels anytime I was in there. So anyway. So it seems like they just took any issue if they're of anybody um talking to them against what they what they normally did. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Or didn't do in, in which on Disney that would be unheard of. Disney's so super clean. Although yeah. here we did have where you know, they, they, uh, gave us hand sanitizers when we first walked in to the, any dining room. We did, wait, did we get that on the, yeah. It wasn't no, mandatory we got that in though. I'm sorry. It wasn't mandatory like it was on Disney. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, it wasn't as evident as it was on Disney. And I'll say for my son is very much into eating healthy and fitness and stuff. So he would on our sea days or when we didn't have to wake up early, he was working out in the gym. He loved it. Mm-hmm. He, he, and he said he was the only young person down there for the most part, but he loved the equipment. And then they also down there and the, or up there in the gym, 
um, offered um, healthy smoothies that you could that you you did have to pay for them, but they had that option. Yeah, and then um, and I think that's common on most chips. I don't think that's yeah, those just type Oasis. of but um, but anyway, but over but what I did enjoy was meeting everybody, meeting the Dizzers. Um, you know, I mean, that was great. That was the highlight, meeting friends and all that. So overall, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I just would have liked, you know, more Diz activities, but, um, and then, you know, the customer service issues. But overall, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound really negative. Overall, we had a fantastic time and really enjoyed, yeah, I... but it was the people, like you were saying, Mary Jo, that made it really special. And even the weather didn't bother us. So, um, I know yeah, that, that was just the day. the last day because yeah. I think that forced us to to play with each other. You know, there we play the card mm-hmm. games, and then then um, you guys and us and the Rays, we went, we did the wine tasting. That was that was that fun. was we were we were almost a troublesome the troublemaker you table though. Never, yeah, yeah. with our and with our chatting. I took, a, <laughs> I took a great cooking class in Cozumel. Um, I I highly recommend it. Uh, it was fantastic. I loved it. So I learned how to do a three-course yeah. meal and how to decorate and chocolate on plates and all that. It was a lot of fun. That sounds like fun. We we did on Labadee, which is on Haiti, we did jet skiing, uh, the coaster ride. I wish we had done the the um, zip line, but we didn't. We did the zip line on the ship with Oscar I mean, Oscar with Oliver and, and Rhino and Rhino is afraid of heights, but yet he did it. We, and, and that was the only give kids the world any fundraising that they did. And so people just started spontaneously saying, if Rhino does it, we'll donate money. We raised, I think it was $1,100. That's wow. great. Um, and, and I know that yeah. was something people commented on was well, why no give kids the world <laughs> thing. And, and I didn't ask you know, John or anybody about it. But keep in mind, we just had that huge, um, <laughs> yes, the huge, at the mega meet, we had a huge yeah. Give Kids the World in July. I think then to ask people again, just a few months later might have been a bit much. I mean, that was my, at least that's what I was thinking. Right. And maybe that's why they didn't do it. So um, anyway, but I know that was something people talked about. Uh, someone in the chat room is asking when the next cruise podcast cruise is. Uh, podcast cruises are typically every other year, so the next one would most likely be 2018. Um, no plans at all at this point. Um, however, I know that uh, John and Kevin from the Orlando show are on the July 28th uh, Explorer of the Seas, uh, Royal Caribbean, out of Seattle, going to Alaska. Um, and I think they have a few desserts scheduled to go on that with them. So that would be a great time to, to tru- cruise with desserts. Also, I am on the nine night, uh, Alaskan cruise on the Disney Wonder, uh, July 24th of this year. And I know there's a, there's a few desserts that are on there, plus my family and some, some family friends and some more family. So, it's getting to be a big group going. So if you're interested in that, let me know and I'll get you the details on that as well. Uh, forgot to mention the rest of the shows, uh, the rest of the Diz Unplugged team, uh, family of shows. Uh, Dreams Unlimited Travel Show cu- returns on July 9th. Um, let's see. The Orlando Show returns this Tuesday, January 3rd, live at 10 a.m. Uh, that is live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, Universal Show on Thursday the 5th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, 
And did I say July 9th? I'm sorry, January 9th. Thanks, Tina, in the chat room. Um, and let's see. Uh, Daily Fix is off on Monday, but returns Tuesday the 3rd. And it's January, right, Michael? It is. And you know what that means, Tom. <coughs> Connecting um, with Walt. Oh, that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Connecting with Walt is back. Now, those of you who have been monitoring your, your Connecting with Walt iTunes feeds will know we surprised you with two Christmas gifts or two holiday gifts. We had two bonus episodes in December <laughs> with um, friend of the Diz, uh, Disney historian Jim Corcus. And so if you've not heard those, be sure you check your iTunes feed or subscribe to iTunes um, Connecting with Walt. Uh, in order to listen to those fantastic stories about Walt and Christmas time at Disneyland and his, and with his family. And then a second story about a gift that Walt Disney received that changed his life that sort of gave us the Walt Disney that we know and enjoy today. Uh, in January 6th, we have our first January episode. I mentioned, um, few weeks ago on our show here that I went to the Destination D Amazing Adventures event and gave you a, a sort of a highlight uh, highlights of some of the events. I go into a lot more detail about that event. I take you there um, to Ooh. the Destination D event. So if you want to hear all about it, our theme for the month of January John Cameron is- Swayze. That's right. <laughs> and our theme for the month is um, Adventure. And, uh, and so, um, th- so that's why we're going to kick off, um, the, the month with talking about Destination D Amazing Adventures. So tune in and join me and Craig in January. Very cool. All right. Uh, let's do some housekeeping. Um, I think we talked about the Main Street Electrical Parade is coming back, eh? But we didn't have the dates yet when, when we last talked. Um, th- the Main or maybe we did. I don't remember. Just as a reminder, January 20th. It was last to, year. Yeah, I know. January 20th to June 18th, the Main Street Electrical Parade. And I know a couple of us will be there on January 19th, the night before, as they have a special pre-party to celebrate the Main Street Electrical Parade. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking You're forward to it. Kelly and I are yeah. going... So, I'm, I'm, it's a, it's just really, a shame. my family's excited. It's really a shame that those of us who live on the other side of town can never seem to get to these things. It, it, <laughs> just because of traffic. I mean, it, it, we went down the weekend before Christmas Eve to celebrate our anniversary at the Grand, and oh my gosh, it took us two hours on a uh-huh. Thursday night before the holiday. Oh gosh! Two hours. So, 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 so I've been looking for hotel rooms for that that weekend because yeah. not only the the electric parade starts, but also Friday's the beginning of the Lunar New Year celebration. Right. Guess what weekend that is? Tony knows because I just told him it's Nam weekend. Oh my! What's Nas- that? National, National Association Music- of Music Merchants. Oh. Music huge. merchants a convention. Yeah, it's huge at the convention center. So okay, so just for fun, I. Okay, so I'm, I checked my my roadway in that you know the one that um, they paved over the pool and yeah that one, uh, not a good neighbor hotel, and it's usually in the sixty dollar range, so it's showing right now one thousand seven hundred sixty two dollars for a room. Holy crap! 
guacamole. What? Yeah. I, I, I'm sure it's a glitch because like they're, 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 it's probably sold out. But yeah, no, yeah. It's just crazy what the rates are right now. So I'm, I'm gonna have to stay in like Bakersfield or something. Uh, uh, but it's it's gonna be fun. Um, uh, Nancy, while you were there, did you get to experience all the new bag checks? Um, a couple of them, and okay. actually they're not horrible. Um, the right. one going into the Grand Californian are coming out is of the, the Grand. Same as always? Yeah, the one going into DCA is the same as always. The one going into downtown Disney, a little mm-hmm. bit. I forgot to take pictures of it and ship them all out to you, but it. While that one is more of a high traffic one, because that's going to be your Disneyland crowd, um, it right. wasn't horrible. They have, t- okay. you know, they have the two separate, um, you know, metal detectors and stuff. So I mean, it's okay. set up exactly like the one in California Adventure. How, so how many tables or how many? You know, the two tables two on the side, and then the two the two pathways in, the two okay. detectors right. in. So and then the one at the one at um, the structure is really nice. That one's you, you. Did you do that one too, Mary Jo? Have you done the, um, the one at the structure? Uh, it was. I went there before, before they started. Okay, okay mm-hmm. so I've I've gone after and it it it's not bad at all. And the it looks so nice the, and big. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not bad. And then and then of course it it slows people down. So then the the trams aren't as bad, and they finally. Gave gave um, uh, changed their policy a little bit, uh, relaxed it, I guess, a little bit, and they play the warning message as the tram departs. Nice. Rather than having to wait for the whole message to go through and then the tram departs, so you save a little time there. Uh, well, and it was crazy because oh no, maybe it's in Florida where they played it, and then if somebody jumps on the tram. During the message, they have to replay it over oh, that again. Like a Florida thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much yeah. people don't jump so. on the tram late for us. No, it just doesn't happen. No, no. Yeah. So, I, but the the problem. I mean, this makes it nice for the people on the west end, but that east end is is still crazy. Well, the other end where the Toy Story lot and things. Yeah. Well, I found some um, some new holiday things to look, to look to see if they do next year. Did you know they did um, cookie decorating at Pinocchio's workshop during the daytime at the Grand Californian? Hmm. Oh, that's cool yeah. for the kid for the kid that's better staying there. And they also have a mm-hmm. letters for Santa thing at, at Pinocchio's workshop too. So in. You just had to get that in. I did. Well, you know what? These are things that they've never offered before in the hotels. Okay. Is that for next year? That's for next year, yes. Keep an eye out to see if if they do this again. Because it was too late to say anything about it this year. But it was like a two-hour Letters to Santa workshop and then a two-hour cookie decorating thing. Hmm. And then did they walk the letters over to the Redwood Challenge Trail? Right. I don't know. We didn't get a chance to do it, but it seemed like fun. <sighs> okay, here's another good segue. Speaking of trails, um, <laughs> oh, and holiday penny. Did you see that? The I'm sorry. They had they had the big thunder. The big thunder trail was open for a while this week. Yay! That was a cool video. The lucky people who got to see the, the, lucky, yeah, the I work didn't, so far. I didn't get to, yeah, I did. I, I didn't get down there, but oh my goodness, to be able that it's. One, it's weird that they have it open because it's just so close to the construction. Right. 
but then again, they have like the backstage areas of Main Street sometimes open. So, well, I guess what are they going to do when they get kind that of the crowded? same thing? I mean, you know, let's face it; they've got to right. route yeah. people somewhere. Yeah, they had to do something. Yeah. But so, and I uh, think they resigned themselves that people were going to take video and yeah. and, and uh, pictures and stuff because I think there was a. Um, I was watching one of the videos and it was somebody walking the opposite way just said, don't record my face or don't record me kind of abruptly. So you have to just be courteous of other people who don't want to be recorded. But the, there were cast members standing against the fence and they weren't saying anything to people who were taking pictures and recording and stuff. So I don't think they would have had m- much of a choice anyway. Right. Yeah. In this era of social media, it's still pretty impossible. I think it had to be all of it. All right. Um, Let's hold off on any other housekeeping. We'll go through the news, and then if we have time, we'll we'll have more random random thoughts. All right. Let's go through uh, three weeks worth of news. You said random thoughts. Tastes good. Okay. Uh, Random thoughts. Okay. Thanks. I just came up with the most random. Nice. Okay. I I said save it though. so we'll go through three weeks of news and what probably would have been our rapid fires had we had a show. So here we go. Let's do the hard news first. Uh, not Sky Cabin. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Knots. That was uh, sad. Ne- nearly eight after eight hours after they became stranded 125 feet up, 21 people on the disabled Sky Cabin at Knott's Berry Farm were lowered one by one to safety Friday night by firefighters. There's no uh, way I could have been up there for eight hours and not have to go to the bathroom. Right? I, I have no idea what those poor people did. Um, okay, so 20 passengers got stuck, became stuck around 2 p.m. Uh, they didn't call the fire department until around 5 p.m. Oh, oh my gosh. And, you know, they, they tried for three hours to get the thing down. The fire department gets there. They can't reach it with, with the ladder. So they lower the people down, um, <coughs> in, on ropes. <gasps> oh, so, my stinking I, I mean, gosh. I mean, it's tandem, tandem with the firefighter, but they lower the people down on ropes. Um, I think it takes, um, till, uh, it was almost 10 o'clock. When they finally got the last person down. How high up were they? 100, 125 feet. So it wasn't at the top wow. of the of the attraction, but yeah. Holy Jesus. Wow. As always, well, the safety they're... of our guests and employees is number one priority. <coughs> I know uh-huh. people have been talking about what kind of uh, compensation, and right. I think Michael brought up a good topic. You what's, know, people who fair? let themselves, the humiliation yeah. of not being able to wait. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Are those windows open? I would have just gone right over. Right <laughs> <out>. <laughs> Thank you for the visual, Michael. Oh my God. <laughs> I was trying not to go. But, but those poor yeah. people. Right. Well, there were there were a couple kids up there, and they. I don't know what they did. If they had a bucket, or if there's a secret restroom up there, I don't know. But you know, but then there there's issues of uh, people who need medicine, uh, right? If you need to eat, thirsty. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, just all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And and of course, you know, they they 
just announced or they announced the the replacement for Windseeker that had these kind of problems um, and no solutions. So are we? Yeah, are we at the end of Sky Cabin? What a shame. That would that would yeah. Uh, well, if they if they took down the the Skyway at Disneyland, you know, due to not being able to make it ADA, right? Right. I I and this well, happened that, on Sky there's, Cabin. There's, there's nothing not ADA about this, is there? I mean, but st- I mean, for the potential lawsuits that can happen yeah. when because of the old um, right now, mechanical SeaWorld still has theirs, right? Okay, and but but and like um, it's called, Tony uh, should know. Yeah, I guess I was thinking, that's Tony's uh, um, <laughs> Magic Mountain yes, doesn't operate they still theirs do anymore. Have theirs. Yeah. Okay. There I think. Oh yeah, and there was a sky a Skyway wasn't because of ADA; it was because of Tony. Um, <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, so I'm sure. Uh, no, it was Brooks <laughs> and jo- Brooks Quinn, right. Johnny Spindler, and Patrick Connerty, not Tony Spatel. <laughs> I still remember the names. Okay. Right. Naming um, names. So I'm, I'm sure it's closed now for a while until they do their investigation and see what the heck happened. Um, kind of sucks. All right. Uh, next news story. So after six years of being on the losing end, Mayor Tom Tate finally got what he wanted. Uh, December 20th was the first city council meeting with the new panel. That was uh, voted in in November. And instantly, (laughs) in one fell swoop, the city council canceled the tax subsidy for luxury hotel developers. Wow. Um, That's huge. They ended the contract that was going on with the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce. They finally put a stake in the streetcar project. And they fired the city attorney. Wow. Who, who had connections to a former city councilman. So, uh, now the, 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 uh, luxury, going back to the tax subsidy, um, any ones that were already approved are locked in already. Um, this just applies to, there's no, no more new applications. Um, and some of the, some of the city councilmen voted because of that, they're like, okay, we've got a bunch in the pipeline now. We got what we wanted. We can stop and not give away any more money. Okay. So, yeah, that's this. It's gonna be interesting. And then the the streetcar project had been dead. It just hadn't been officially dead, and now it now it is. So, like the bullet train. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly like that. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to some more happier, more happier. Wow. It's been three weeks. Some happier news. Um, there's a new hotel in town. Motel? Hotel? What? No, it's a hotel. Uh, the Country Inn and Suites. Um, it's, it says Country Inn and Suites by, I can't remember what it is, but it's like a Radisson property or owned by the same people as Radisson. This is at 14, 1640 South no, it's not Starward. Uh, South Clementine. So it is. Um, let's see. It's it's just north of the residence inn that's behind the Garden Walk. Okay. 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 So it's kind of diagonally across uh, Disney Way and and Clementine from the Garden Walk, uh, the north north end of Garden Walk. 
So it's walking distance for people yeah. who yeah. don't mind walking. Yeah, if if you if you would walk from from the residence and back there, you could walk from it. Yeah. So it's kind of it. It would be just east. Yeah, east. Sorry, Tony. Um, yeah, east of the Pumba lot. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the Pumbaa lot right there, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Carlson, yes. Country Inn and Suites by Carlson. And Carlson also owns Radisson. Thank you, Mixler. All right. Let's move on to also opening... Also opened while we slept. The Pandora Store's open. Nice, bright, white Pandora Store. Is open in half of the former Quicksilver um, storefront. Mm. Um, however, the Curl Surf store is going to take a lot longer. Um, I, I read somewhere around like summer. It's not. It's not going to be open till summer, hmm. which is weird that they can get the Pandora store open in you know a couple months and Pandora's probably got a lot more money. That's <laughs> yeah, probably true. That is probably true. And they had a, you know, they have a special contract. Yeah. You know, to. Well, and I, I, I think it's probably smaller than the. Their licensee. Yeah, it's smaller than the yeah. other one. Uh, and in sad, sad, sad closing news, the Castle Heraldry Shop is closing. Um, it was there for so many years. Yeah. That's a big shame. It right. was. Um, and it's close. Last day of operation is July twelfth, and according to their Facebook page, Disney will be offering a new experience. So, yeah, any guesses as to what that's going to be? Frozen. It'll be something you have to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> my my first thought was an expanded queue for Peter Pan because it's right next to Peter Pan. But there are other well, people who might... were agreeing with you that surprised me. I'm sorry, Nancy. Uh, no, that would make perfect sense to take the space and and move it into an interactive Peter Pan queue. Yeah, because that, that that would totally make that sense. queue gets long and ugly and out in the way. Yeah, and and the location is right for that, but it would just um, be surprising the, they would give up a retail spot for something that, that okay, makes such much yeah. sense. Well, but it's, it, what are some, what are some things that they do special custom? <laughs> You know, special customed products. Yeah. In in the Florida parks. Yeah, yeah. Because you know that would be the the only other thing I could think of. If they're doing a retail, it would probably be something cool and special. Like I'm really honestly surprised we haven't gotten those haunted mansion pictures of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's what I was thinking. But yeah, that have to be in New Orleans Square. And it, it's not that big of a space, really, is it? Yeah. No, it's not. It's actually thin and divided, and it's longer and skinnier than you think is yeah. that little spot yeah. is, because it goes up and into the corner. Yeah. Now, does, do, does anybody know what's happening right now with the old space on the other side? That used to be the candy shop and the toy store and the frozen meet and greet and the whatever meet and greet, tangled meet and greet? Mm-mm. Nope. It, does it have construction walls again? No, no. It's but it's okay. been but it's been empty for a while. They don't know what but to it was do empty with that. For yeah, a couple years. Which department owns it at this point? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, because it was last used as as a meet and greet, but 
before that it was it was retail. Yeah. So we've got Oh you're talking about the area right by Pinocchio's <coughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where they had the meet and greets. Uh huh. That was such a cute area for, for Frozen too. Yeah. Yeah, and well, Rapunzel. Like, that was great. Yeah, and they put it in that tower for Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's move on. Um, and we lost a couple of Disney legends in the last couple of weeks, Michael. Um, we have. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I mean, 2016, the last few weeks, yeah, I mean, right. we, just saw, we saw a lot of people in general right. passing away, you know, including people that did have some ties to Disney, of course. You know, Carrie Fisher and, um, and her mother, Debbie Reynolds, <coughs> both. Such were, a shock. Yeah, that, that, that was really a shock. But two, um, longtime Disney legends. We saw, um, Charlie Ridgway pass away. Um, for folks who are on Podcast Cruise 2.0, you got to really get to know Charlie Ridgway. I got to know him well because I sat at his table, um, for meals. And he was, um, we were part of, we were John and Ken's table, uh, John and Ken, what am I saying? Um, John and Kevin's <laughs> table, thinking of, you know, your, your two local, um, radio. KFI, yeah, radio. Because yes. they were doing, they were John doing and Ken a gig up here, yeah. And so, anyway, but, um, <laughs> anyway, and Charles Richway was part of, part of that group. But he, uh, he joined the Disney publicity office in 1963. And of course, that was, Really, when, you know, when you've listened to any of the history segments, that was really when the Dis- Walt Disney Company was firing on, you know, all cylinders. And he retired in 1994, although he stayed on as a consultant for many years afterwards. He was born July 20th, 1923 in Chicago, Illinois, and he earned his BA degree in journalism from the University of Missouri. And both he and um, Walt Disney had a lot in common. They were both born in Chicago, although 20 years apart. They spent a part of their early lives in Missouri towns, just 100 miles from each other. Um, Charles, Charlie spent his teens in Shelbina, Missouri, and Walt grew up in, of course, Marceline, Missouri. In 1947, Charles um, began his career writing and editing news for radio and newspapers. And in 1952, he moved to Los Angeles and he joined the staff of the Los Angeles Mirror News. In 1954 and 55, he wrote some of the very first articles about Disneyland that appeared in any major newspaper. And he also covered the grand opening on July 17th, 1955. Now, he lived only two miles from the park. So he knew this was going to be a big occasion. So on opening day, he was all dressed up. He wore his navy blazer. He took his wife, Greta, who wore a brand new dress and matching shoes. I love how people dressed in those days. And um, and Charles remembered back to that day. He said, I arrived with my wife at 9 a.m. And I don't think they were happy to see me show up that early. I picked up the press credentials and wandered around and had a wonderful time. Everything you heard was true. They ran out of food. Rides broke down. After 5 p.m., the park was almost completely empty, but they had the rides back up and running. So my wife and I rode everything. I loved the experience, and that's the story I filed. I was surprised to see all the negative stories that appeared the next day. Now, they did have an early lunch that day before the food ran out, and they had prime rib at a table 
sitting next to Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher, <laughs> who are there with their children um, on opening day. Um, over the next few years, Charlie said he would always go to Disneyland because he knew it was always good for a feature story. And he said, I guess they liked what I was writing because they offered me a job in publicity, first at the studios and then later at Disneyland. When I was offered the job, I didn't know whether to take it or not. I had had bad experiences in publicity before, but I felt that Disney would be different. And it was. So in 1963, he was asked to join Disneyland's publicity staff for $64 a week. And his background in radio and newspapers gave him some insight into what reporters needed and how to work with them. And I don't know if you have, if you have his book, um, Spinning Disney's World. It is a terrific book. I really recommend you get it. But in the very first chapter, he talks about the first time that he met Walt. It was less than a week on the job and his um his his office was what was then the uh the police station at Disneyland so when you're looking at the steps going up to uh you know up into um you know guest services in there you know at at city hall um it's right to the left that little tiny room where now sometimes they do surveys in there um, often the, you know, the tour, the tour, um, gardens. Um, that was his, that was his, um, office. And it was, they had a 15 foot tall Victoria ceiling in there, um, Victorian ceiling. And it was Monday and there were shelves stretching all the way floor to ceiling in there. It was Monday. The park was closed. No one was around. And it was, uh, and, and so he's on his desk trying to reach photo files that were way at the top of these. 15 foot shelves and so somebody behind him says um may we come in and he didn't know who it was because he had his back to the door and he said hell yes it's not my joint but he realized <laughs> that it was this person's joint um, <laughs> <laughs> it was walt disney and he was um he was taking his staff through on one of his walkthroughs that he would always do of the park. And um, when he finally realized what it was, he was he just said hello. He was too embarrassed, he said, to even look at Walt in the face to see if he was amused or annoyed. And um, anyway, so Walt just sort of showed people around in that little office and all that. And um, they left very quickly without comment or any conversation. And all Walt said very quickly was thanks. And, um, but that sort of started his, um, 40 year career, you know, with the Walt Disney company. And I, I guess Walt didn't, uh, wasn't offended by it because in 1966, Charlie was promoted to Di as Disneyland's publicity supervisor. And he was uh, one of the photos that, of course, we see all the time is, um, Walt in his favorite little jitney car with Mickey Mouse in front of the castle. That was the very last official photo of Walt Disney before he passed. Um, it was Charlie Ridgway that staged that whole photo. And he said uh, what Charlie said of that. It might have been as early or as very late as August or early September of that year. We didn't know how sick Walt was. We were told he had the flu, which seemed reasonable. And when he went into the hospital, we were told that he was having pain in his back due to an old polo injury. 
When he passed away, it came as a surprise. And I remember being called into the office and told that my job was to keep the media out of the park. They didn't want reporters in the park asking the guests and cast members how they felt about Walt passing away. In 1969, Charlie Widgeway was promoted to publicity manager, and later he was director of press and publicity for Walt Disney World, which was then under construction, so he and his wife Greta moved out to Orlando, and Charlie helped launch the opening of Walt Disney World in 1971. He was the one who—he was into staging photos. He staged a famous photo of Royal Disney sitting on the bench in the Magic Kingdom with Mickey Mouse— and that was later used as the inspiration for Blaine Gibson sculpture oh. that is now in Town Square at the Magic Kingdom and in Legends Plaza in Burbank at the Walt Disney Studios. Um, Charles also helped open Epcot Center in 1982, as well as other Disney theme parks, including Disneyland Paris in 1992. He was also involved in so many publicity projects and you can read about them in his book but the funniest one the one he's probably most famous for was if you remember was donald duck's 50th birthday because he um he they hatched and had all these baby ducklings imprinted on donald duck and then they put little (laughs) hats on them and so when donald walked down main street all these little ducks followed donald down Main Street, and that's on YouTube and all that you can see. Um, Charles officially retired in 1994, but he consulted on special events, including the launch of Disney's Animal Kingdom and Disney Cruise Lines. He even um, helped to prepare the me- media material for the opening of Hong Kong Disneyland. And he's, he was once asked what it was, well, he was asked many times, what is it, was, was it like to work at Disney whilst Walt was alive? And he said, It's amazing that most businesses that were started by one man who was so influential, they started to fall apart when that man died. But Disney continues to thrive, and Walt's impact is as strong, if not stronger, than when he was alive. So in the beginning, Walt was there most weekends, walking around the grounds, talking to people, getting ideas, seeing what they liked and what they didn't like. There was all kinds of energy, imagination, and creativity. It was just a great place to work. People would ask in the early days, when is it going to be done? And Walt would say, never, as long as there is imagination. And that has happened. Disney has outgrown that spot in Southern California and spread itself around the world. So um, Charles Ridgway was named a Disney legend in 1999. And like I said, I sat with him at Podcast Cruise 2.0. And then we would go to some of the um, theater events together and sit together and stuff like that. Because that was a cruise Carol couldn't go on at the very last minute. And I, I she insisted I go on by myself. So I, I got to hung out, hang out a bit with Charlie Ridgway. Just a lovely and delightful man. And you know what? His mind was like a steel trap. He remembered virtually everything. And, um, and anyway, he, I, I just sat back and just listened to his stories. I mean, just, just a wonderful man. And, uh, and like I said, you can get to know Charlie through his book, um, Spinning Disney's World. So, uh, sadly, um, you know, we lose another direct connection, you know, to Walt Disney. <laughs> in 2016 the other person that passed away remarkable man tyrus wong passed away at the young old age of 106 and um 
And again, another man that was, when I met him, really sharp fellow. I, th- I think he was just a, a youngster at like 99 when I met him. <laughs> and, um, anyway, um, anyway, he was, um, he, Tyrus Wong, he was born in Canton, which in China in 1910. And in 1919, he and his father immigrated to America, <coughs> the United States leaving, but they left behind. Because, you know, it was so hard to immigrate. Um, left behind, unfortunately, um, Tyrus's mother and sister, and they never saw him again. And oh. when they arrived in the United States, they were held on Angel Island because of the Chinese um, Exclusion Act. And Angel Island was sort of, was the Ellis Island of the Pacific Coast. And it's in San Francisco Bay. And, uh, and you can tour it now and you can, and, and you can see um, the buildings that are left from there and the messages that the people that were interned there as they awaited, uh, whether they would be allowed to immigrate to the U.S. or be sent back to China. Um, you can see messages that they left there. They're still carved in the buildings there. Um, anyway, and Angel Island was built just primarily for immigration of the Chinese, um, at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, they, after their release from Angel Island, which was not an easy thing, um, they settled in Sacramento and later moved to Los Angeles's, um, Chinatown neighborhood. Uh, Wong's was interested in painting and drawing at a very early age and they were very poor. But so his father, um, encouraged his talents by having him practice calligraphy by dripping his brushes in water and painting on newspaper. So because he could, so, and, and because when the water would dry, he could just continuously use the newspaper over and over again. Um, Tyrus was, was really indifferent to school. So he dropped out of Benjamin Franklin Junior High in Pasadena, and he went to Otis Art Institute on a full scholarship. And he, um, received formal Western art training, but he stu- and while studying art at the Soong Dynasty at Los Angeles Central Library in his free time. Even though he graduated right in the middle of the Depression, he decided to lead a life of an artist. And he exhibited his work throughout the country, including at the Chicago Art Institute in 1932. Uh, he also, um, he and other groups of young Asian artists, they, uh, they formed a group okay. called the Orientalists, and and they would exhibit their art. He was also hired as part of the Federal Arts Project, which is a branch of um, President Roosevelt's New Deal era Work um, Progress Administration, the WPA. And he did um, he d- and, and a lot of uh, a num- quite a bit of the artwork from that era of his still exists. Um, the Dragon's Den. Um, is how his uh he and his fellow um artists survived it was a subterranean um, trendy chinatown restaurant that attracted hollywood stars which our younger listeners are going to have to google like peter Lorre, anime wong and sydney greenstreet and um this was this was a, a restaurant that they boasted um, these huge wall murals and hand-painted menus by Wong and his fellow artists. And that's where he met his future wife, Ruth Kim. And after Wong's first ch- um, daughter was born, Ruth, in 1938, he needed a job. So this was when, so he got hired as an in-betweener 
at the Walt Disney Studios, and he drew hundreds of sketches of Mickey Mouse. He hated it. He found it tedious. He thought his eyeballs, he said, were going to pop out of his head. But he heard that the studio was in pre-production on the feature film Bambi. And so he um, read the Felix Salton novel. He went home. He painted several pictures of the deer in the forest. He, But um, Walt already knew because of the amount of money that went into painting these detailed backgrounds <coughs> of Snow White and Pinocchio, they could not do that for Bambi. Bambi was originally going to be the third film released, um, and, and it ended up not being the third film released. But... Um, he knew they couldn't go into that much detail. They couldn't paint this detailed forest. It, it would it would financially destroy the studio. They had to come up with another way. And Wong, through the use of Chinese art, of you know a few brush strokes communicating the whole story, and you know background wash and all that, um, these sketches. So he used that in order to do the backgrounds of the forest. Um, these captured the attention of Walt Disney. And I think Bambi is probably visually one of the most beautiful Disney films ever mm-hmm. created. And and that's thanks to Wong's um Wong's influence. And um and, and so that that those paintings were the uh the, they influenced all of the art of Bambi. And unfortunately, though, due to the um, prejudice against um, the Chinese at the time, really Wong did, Tyrus did not get full credit for his work. If you look in the credits, he's listed at the very end as a background artist. It wasn't until decades later he really got the due he that he really deserved for his influence on that film. He then left Disney um, actually because of that, the strike in 1941 and the deals that were, um, that resulted from it. Uh, Tyrus was let go from the studio and then he went on. He had a whole nother career. He went on to Warner brothers. He did concept art for hundreds of live action films, many of which, are classics Rebel Without a Cause, Calamity Jane, Harper, The Wild Bunch, Sands of Iwo Jima, Auntie Maine, um, April in Paris, PT 109. He worked on, he was loaned out to Republic Pictures, worked on all kinds of John Wayne Westerns, and Westerns became one of his favorite genres. And he worked at Warner Brothers until his retirement in 1968. He also did a lot of greeting cards. He worked, he did cards for Hallmark. He uh, illustrated magazine covers, including some beautiful ones for um, Reader's Digest and children's books. He also did calligraphic calligraphic style designs on Winfield ceramic ware that sold in more high-end department stores and are really collectible items now. When he finally retired, um, he was driving his wife crazy around the house, as many wives will say their husbands do. <laughs> and, and one day his wife, he, he was particularly bothersome, and she said, why don't you go out and fly a kite? Well, he took her literally. And when he retired, he turned his attention to designing and building these gorgeous handmade kites, dozens of designs, these multicolored, hundred-foot centipedes, flocks of swallows, butterflies, and panda bears. And um, they, they did a film on them in the 1990s called Flights of Fancy. And he would frequently, once a month, he would go to the Santa Monica Beach near the pier, and, and there would be a kite flying day with Tyrus Wong. 
and and mm. there's and um they were magnificent the walt disney family museum a few years ago did did an exhibit of all his uh, of much of his work throughout his career it was beautiful they also showed the handmade christmas gifts that he would make for his daughters out of um everyday things that you'd find around the house they were magnificent he also when he was teaching his daughter's art parents of young children keep this in mind he would not allow them to have coloring books because he didn't want them to be constrained by the pictures uh -huh. and the lines so um the museum did produce an absolutely beautiful book of his work called water to paper paint to sky the art of tyrus wong that tells his story so if you can get your hands on it the the his his artwork is just breathtaking um also uh, modern disney artists still study his work and his work influenced modern films when finding nemo was being developed they realized they could not they could not design these detailed backgrounds for the ocean. So if you think of the backgrounds for Finding Nemo, they bear a striking resemblance to the style of artwork in Bambi. That's because the artists at Pixar who designed and drew and, and well, you know, worked on Finding Nemo, drew them using computer art. Um, they went back to Tyrus's original artwork for Bambi. And they use that as their inspiration for Finding Nemo. And um, and I'm sure they did for Finding Dory as well. So just a remarkable, remarkable man. I did, the first time I met Tyrus Wong was by happenstance. I was at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And I was in the gallery where the Bambi artwork is, the, the, the little section on Bambi, and which is right next to Pinocchio, my favorite classic film. And... Um, Who's, I, I noticed there's this little small group right there, and I look, and it's Tyrus Wong. And oh so gosh. I say hello to him, and I just compliment his beautiful work. And he just started telling me about his ideas for the work and his, and his concept and how he did it and, and, and all of that. And, you know, he didn't spend a lot of time with me, but he was with people. And that he took time out just to chat with me, I thought was just such a sweet thing to do and he's a very genuine man and um so again a, a a very sad loss not only for the disney community but for the um for the art community as well i was actually so, one of his in like caregivers yeah. about a month ago so so yeah it, mm -hmm. that touched me very yeah. very deeply i couldn't talk about it at the time of course now mm-hmm I knew he had been ill, and they said he did pass away surrounded by his family. And um, anyway, yeah. So, so, but you know, let's so let's enjoy what these and the others who passed away in 2016 gave to us. Definitely, because that's how they would that's how they would want to be remembered. Let's celebrate their contributions and keep their instead work of alive. Dwelling on the yeah. absolutely, and let's not dwell on the fact they passed away. Let's celebrate on the art that they shared with us. And let's keep it alive for future generations. All right. Thank you, Michael. Uh, moving on. Okay. So this one kind of surprises me. 
So that little fireworks show that they created for the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, you know, that one with Julie Andrews. Yeah, it's coming back. Uh, remember dreams okay. come true? Why, why do you think this is? Why are we seeing a recycling of... I mean, I love this fireworks right. show, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But why do you think we're seeing like Main Street Electrical Parade brought back and now this? We're, and place, ro- place, world of place, color placeholders? Being- that's yeah. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Uh, remember, dreams come I, true. The Main Street return. Electrical Parade. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to give the date. Returns February third. Go ahead. That's okay. Good, <laughs> Mirja. Sorry. I wonder if it's it's part of a resurgence of nostalgia, and a resurgence of you know some of that. Plus, it's easier to refurb than it is to. Redesign. Build something new. Yeah. I think you give them too much credit. I think it's cheap. <laughs> I do too. And it's, a, it's easier to That's why I kind of stopped what I was saying. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so you put that after you said nostalgia. I don't think they care. Oh. You never know. That's, I mean, that's why I, I never I, left to begin with is, you know, guest complaint. You know, who else bought a ball? I, I kind of think that for the. F- I said say that about, again. Who else Nancy? bought a bulb besides Tom? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, I know a lot of people that, that bought yeah. bulbs that are local. No, I know. That's the point. The you know, parade. they bought a bulb. They said, oh, it's going away. And then all of a sudden, no, it's not because the nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they probably expect that um, people are not going to want to renew their passes because of the continued construction. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to entice people to go back. To, to continue going to Disneyland or to go to Disneyland more, um, than, than before. You know, when they had the latest normal fireworks come out, there were a lot of complaints. Because we've minutes? kind of been spoiled. Oh, the I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah. 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 Because, you know, though, those, those were the fireworks that I kind of grew up with, just the, the small fireworks. But then with the 50th and the 60th, you know, and then they, they extended those shows. That's the new norm for a lot of people. So when they went back to, you know, what they had years ago or trying to minimize the the cost, I think people just really complain. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe they've seen a drop in in annual passes. Right now, what, we have a 13-month incentive. Which, as Tony brought up a while back, which is theoretically (laughs) what they wanted. Right, they want, yeah, no, yeah. They're just like a really bad relationship. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I meant. It's I can't quit meant. you. I know. That's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad these are coming back because I did really like them. Yeah, and I'm just hoping they don't perform um, any more surgery on it. Yeah. I mean, they took yeah, out, no more, they t- yeah, no more cuts. They took out the Shenandoah yeah. scene. I yeah, love that me part, too. too. Me too. So, be interesting to see what happens when it returns on February 3rd. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, the same day that Main Street Electrical <laughs> Parade, that one, uh, the same day that the Main Street Electrical Parade returns is also the beginning of Lunar New Year. Uh, Lunar New Year is expanding. This year's event will take place January 20th to February 5th. 
uh, besides the live performances and character greetings we, that we're used to or that we've seen in the past, there will be three new Asian Yay. marketplaces. Think food and wine, uh, serving food and oh. beverages. Uh, plus a new 16, uh, 16, six minute pre-show, uh, to World of Color called Hurry Home. It's the story of a little lantern on its journey home to join its family of lanterns in celebrating Lunar New Year. Features uh, appearances by Mulan and Mushu in a dream sequence that is inspired by traditional paper cut animation. Cool. Uh, oh, is that you think the leftover concept art for from, the original world of right, color? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, because nothing ever dies at Disney. <laughs> um, the score is inspired by the music created for Shanghai Disney Resort's grand opening. Oh, well, I so that music. we <laughs> for so for this show we get to say thanks Shanghai. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I've missed uh, that we need to talk about before next week as far as news in Disneyland? Um, Good. Okay. I, th- I, th- I don't have anything okay. regarding the news in Disneyland, but just as a kind of an add-on sure. to Michael talking about Tyra Swang. Mm-hmm. And he reminded me that um, at the Science Center, they have the science behind Pixar's um, the exhi- exhibit there. Right. If you want to see the get a, an idea of the work that goes on um, when they put these films together, mm-hmm. that's a really good exhibit. And because I went to that exhibit, when you were talking, Michael, about the background art, and it made sense to me, whereas before it probably wouldn't have made such a – I wouldn't have understood as well. Um, which you were talking mm-hmm. about on how much goes the detail that goes on in the background pictures and what they do to, to cut costs so that they can make it affordable. Mm-hmm. So that's going through April 16th for anybody who's still looking for things to do. Yeah. And actually just a, a couple reminders of two exhibits at the Walt Disney family museum that are ending on January 9th is the Pinocchio exhibit will end on January 9th and also Carolwood home for the holidays the the annual holiday exhibit that also if you want to see the layout of Walt's Carolwood estates home with the the you know the um with his little train chugging around to see how how did he work that out with Lillian um that will be there along with their christmas cards uh, that were designed by the studio artists and animators um that will be there unfortunately the film by Don Hahn and narrated by Dan Disney Miller is done for this season, but you can still catch those two exhibits on um, that are playing through January 9th. And, and I plan on going there on Saturday, January 7th to see those for the final time. So if any Disney's are there, be sure to say hello. Excellent. All right. For those of you, for the, oh my gosh, it's been a three weeks. <laughs> for those of you listening live, be sure to stick around. We're going to talk about 2016, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, that is going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch all of our other Diz Unplugged podcasts this week. And of course, we will be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening. I miss hearing that. Me too, I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs>